0: high truths on drugs and addiction where national experts bring you facts and answer your questions i am your host dr onit lev an emergency and addiction doctor who has served at the white house and still practices on the front lines right here on high truths you will learn from experts hear stories from the emergency department and listen to people who have struggled from addiction friends fentanyl is plaguing america It has infected all illicit drugs, from cocaine to meth, counterfeit pills, and even marijuana. If you are around someone who may be using drugs, you should carry naloxone, the opioid reversal agent. Carrying naloxone for drugs is like carrying an EpiPen for allergies. If you need a prescription for naloxone, you should have one, no questions asked. That is why I am offering a free prescription to anyone who needs one. Come visit me on HighTruths.com. To learn more about the show, submit a question, or download a free prescription for naloxone. And if you like the show, do me a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. Your stars are very much appreciated and go a long way in supporting the program. This week's episode would not be possible without the generous support from our sponsors. A sincere and warm thank you to CCR, Center for Community Research enhancing public health and safety through informed action. Hello, hello, everyone. I am so happy to have you join me in another High Truths episode. There are a lot of other things that you could be doing right now, watching TV, reading, exercising, sleeping, working, and yet, here you are with me, and I very much appreciate it. Many of you have listened to episode number 60, where I shared only three of my 10 health tips on marijuana. And I thank you for your five-star review, and I'm listening to your request for more tips. So today, I will share three more health tips on marijuana. If you want to hear more, let me know on HighTruths.com. Now, morning. If you already know everything there is to know about marijuana or insist on using the word cannabis because anyone who uses the word marijuana is a prohibitionist, these tips are not for you. If you believe cannabis benefits are important and well-established and people who need marijuana for pain and anxiety and sleep, and hey, it's safer than alcohol, and if you think anyone who says anything bad about marijuana is just full of reefer madness, then my health tips are not for you. Turn off the podcast now. Do not proceed. However, if you want to learn more health tips based on established science so you can make your own decisions for protecting your health and those you love, then listen on. I expect that after learning these three tips, you will take just one fact and share it at a dinner conversation with family or friends. You will be an informed decision maker and you should share that knowledge. And now, with your permission, I will begin. Health tip number one, cannabis is associated with addiction. Not everyone who uses cigarettes or alcohol gets addicted. It depends on age of use, quantity of use, and genetic disposition. But the same goes for marijuana. The age range of addiction potential for marijuana goes from 9% with infrequent adult use to 50% in heavy users who start at a young age. A study in over 800 eighth graders from Seattle were followed until they turned 33. Non-marijuana users had less alcohol use disorder, nicotine dependence, and general anxiety disorder. On the other hand, persistent regular marijuana users had more symptoms of cannabis use disorder, alcohol use disorder, and nicotine dependence by the time they turned 33. Often, heavy marijuana users say they need their cannabis to help with anxiety. I believe them, I'm sure it is true, but it's also the telltale sign of addiction. Think of someone who is addicted to alcohol or cigarettes. Without their daily fix, they feel anxious. They need the drug to calm down. And the same goes with marijuana. Many people don't realize that they have an addiction to marijuana and believe they could quit at any time, but yet they don't. Why, why don't they? Because it's not easy. It's very, very hard to quit. Marijuana withdrawal is not like alcohol withdrawal of having shakes and seizures. It's not like opioid withdrawals of having physical illness of diarrhea and vomiting. Signs of cannabis withdrawal is anxiety, insomnia, and headaches, more mild and subtle symptoms. The good news is that this discomfort lasts only about two weeks, and then you could work on what I call getting your brain back resetting the dopamine receptors to a healthier baseline. So health tip number one is cannabis is an addictive drug. Health tip number two, cannabis is a well-established teratogen. A teratogen is an agent that causes an abnormality after fetal exposure during pregnancy. A famous teratogen is thalidomide, a medication that was pushed to treat morning sickness in pregnant women. The problem is that suddenly more babies were born with short arms and legs and other fetal abnormalities. Alcohol is a known teratogen causing fetal alcohol syndrome and an established grouping of congenital abnormalities. Marijuana use is also known to cause low birth weight in babies and prematurity. The fascinating or very sad research shows that men who are heavy marijuana users have abnormalities in the physical appearance and motility of their sperm. And looking even closer at the DNA within the sperm shows various breaks and alterations to that DNA. Weed literally weed wax the DNA. And this alteration uh, DNA in the sperm meets an egg, reproduces and goes on to alterations that continue for multiple generations. The result is seen in various known and yet unknown complications that could last for generations. So health tip number two, cannabis is a known teratogen. It should not be used in women or men who want to get pregnant. Health tip number three, cannabis products are associated with cancer. Testicular cancer in particular. Testicular cancer has been proven to be associated with marijuana smoking. And there've been many studies that show this dating back to 2009, 2011, and 2012. The good news is that if you detect testicular cancer early, you may lose a testicle, but be cured of cancer. The odds of developing testicular cancer are increased twofold for people who use marijuana. Testicular cancer is well-established, but yet there are new findings that are just coming about. One is the increased evidence of pediatric cancers. Pediatric cancers have increased almost 50% since 1975 to 2015 in the United States. And researchers have noted that during this time, alcohol and cigarette use have declined. But yes, cannabis use has increased. And researchers were able to correlate increased marijuana use to an increased risk of all pediatric cancers, especially an increase in leukemia. And if we understand that cannabis alters the genes and male sperm, we can then understand how it's associated to be a cancer risk. So health tip number three, marijuana use is associated with testicular cancer and an association with an increase in pediatric cancers. If you want to learn more about this research, we can hear it straight from the scientists. Look out for my podcast with Dr. Stuart Reese, the genius in genotoxicity. So. The three marijuana health tips given today are, one, be aware of addiction, two, be aware of testicular cancer, and three, be aware of gene toxicity with marijuana use. Share one of these tips with your friends. Hey, this is very heavy stuff. And so now let's hear our question for the day.
1: Hi, my name is John Byram, and I've worked with North Coastal Prevention Coalition in North San Diego County for over 20 years. We really appreciate the leadership Dr. Lev brings to the work in San Diego County and the information in these podcasts. I've been in recovery for 36 years and marijuana was my drug of choice. I entered recovery before these high potency products were invented. How are these new marijuana products impacting addiction and what can be done to help protect consumers, especially teens and young adults whose brains are still developing?
0: Thank you, John, for your important question. And I have an expert today from Colorado, the mecca of cannabis, who has experience in protecting consumers and impact on new marijuana products. And that expert is Don Reinfeld. She is the co founder and executive director of Blue Rising Together. Having grown up in New York, Dawn has lived in Colorado for 30 years. She's very concerned about the harms of high-potency THC, especially witnessing the harms firsthand on youth while raising two kids in Boulder, Colorado. Dawn advocates for legislation to address the loopholes in Colorado's framework of cannabis regulations, and her effort helped pass the very first sweeping regulatory bill for the cannabis industry since legalization. You can find Don Reinfeld's bio on the High Truth show notes. Don Reinfeld, welcome to High Truths. Thank you for having me. It is so wonderful to talk to you on this podcast and we have an interesting conversation today and I'm uh, really excited to share that with our audience. And Don, you give me severe FOMO like my kids do, <laughs> fear of missing out. <laughs> I always missing out. I'm jealous of what you are able to accomplish in Colorado with marijuana laws. And, uh, but before we get into that, tell us what has driven you for this passion on this issue?
1: Well, I've been involved in democratic politics for many years. Actually, I got, I first got involved um, after the Sandy Hook shooting, and I wanted to make a difference on gun violence prevention policy. And so it was then that I realized um, how to organize how to um, the power of particularly mothers and and women um, speaking out and kind of um, trying to make change. And I would say the reason why I really care about this issue is I saw firsthand in my community and my family how what some of the decisions that were being made at the legislature here in Colorado were totally disconnected from the reality on the ground, raising teenagers in Colorado. And um, I just decided to to start leveraging the relationships that I had built over many years and reaching out to people that were um, in positions, in elected positions, to try and um, make some change. And that's kind of how we got started.
0: And it's so important. And you're very much a relentless advocate. And I thank you because uh, what you're doing with Colorado, you're generous in sharing, um, you know, the successes and failures, what works and what doesn't with us in California and South Dakota and and very different places. So thank you so much. Um, John Byron has a question for High Truths that I'll present to you. He asks, how has new marijuana products have impacted addiction and what are you seeing with these new
1: products? Um, Well, first of all, I would say that most people are really unaware about what's for sale in dispensaries. And I see that as a real weakness for the industry. They promoted one thing with legalization, which was joints and what people really get when legalization comes to their community is something that now much more resembles a hard drug. There's uh, concentrates that come in like wax, oils, almost distillate rocks. Um, There's suppositories, anal and vaginal suppositories. There's just a wide array of products that people don't realize are for sale. And part of what's dangerous about the change that has occurred, is that um, the potency of THC, which is the the chemical that gets you high, back in the day, in the 70s, 80s, even up to 2000s, was like between three and 5% THC. But once an industry has been driven by profits and been able to hire chemists and open labs, all that they've created is how to make this product more appealing, more addictive, and a higher high. So now we have THC upwards of almost 99%. And really, until this last maybe 10 years, we hadn't seen this kind of potency. And um, it's really causing a lot of very detrimental health effects, especially for um, those with developing brains.
0: Yes, you know, some that high potency stuff, that marijuana acts more like meth than than it, it does what when people think of like a Cheech and Chan, you know, you know, kind of right. relaxed. That's not what we're seeing. And and the industry has gone unchecked. I mean, California legalized recreational use back in 2016. And all these years, um, they keep adding products and um, you know, liberalizing their um Uh, the laws, it's an essential service during a pandemic, they're getting tax breaks now, um, all without the public knowing um, the real health benefits. And that's why I'm so jealous you're able to do that in a shorter period of time in Colorado and, and in California, we've had nothing.
1: Well, I think that part of the problem is the biggest groups that have been at the table with legislatures has been the cannabis industry. They've been very successful at using the money that they've made on selling these kind of products to leverage that into strong relationships at state legislatures. And what we found here in Colorado is that most of the legislators um, aren't necessarily um, cannabis users. So they didn't really know what was for sale. And many of them do not have teenagers. And or their children are either very young, they don't have children, or their children are much older. And it's really, you know, at least in Colorado, only when you have a young adult that you realize how unchecked these um, these products are and how untethered they are to science. And that was really the crux of our um, argument: was we need to follow science, and that. If there is research that shows that these products are harmful, then we need to act on that research and let science be our guide, not tax revenue, which is what it really has been in most states. And we've also really realized that the regulatory frameworks that are set up in most states um, are really just business development tools of this industry. They don't um, act with the proper regulatory guardrails as kind of um, trying to keep the industry within certain lines, they allow the industry to help write the lines with them. And that's what's happened here in Colorado and I believe in California as well.
0: Yeah, and I love that we need to follow the science. We know we hear that all the time, follow the science for COVID, follow the science. And it's like, wait, well, what about the science on marijuana? We should be following that too, right? Exactly. So um, John also has a question for you. He says, what can be done to protect consumers, especially teens and young adults whose brains are still developing? Sounds exactly what you're passionate about. So he wants to know, tell us about the marijuana laws that you were able to pass in Colorado to protect
1: kids. So what we did in Colorado was we basically made the argument that our regulatory framework in Colorado has not kept up with the change in products and the change in potency. And um, there was there has been an accumulation of some very serious and substantial harms here among our teens and um, young adults. So the law that we passed was to tighten up how medical cards are given and how the relationship they have with the doctor and the products that are allowed to be purchased. So what we saw here was a pretty substantial loophole that in Colorado, before our legislation, you could be 18, living at home, on your parents' health insurance, and without their knowledge, you could get a medical marijuana card in three to five minutes. That's generally how long the doctor's appointments are, and um, they're advertised in local magazines. And really not have to provide real proof of a medical condition. You could say, oh, I have migraines. And then basically be able to purchase whatever you want in a a marijuana shop. So what our legislation did was, first of all, um, require there to be a more substantial relationship between the doctor and the patient. And for the um, doctor to say, if you have this condition, you should take this product this many times a day at this potency. It's kind of like the argument, if if the doctor says you need Lipitor, he doesn't just say, go take Lipitor, take the advice of the clerk behind the counter and take whatever you want. It's specific. So if the industry is saying that these products have medicinal benefits, then a doctor is the one who needs to say what to take, not the dude who works at the counter, who has no interest in your actual health. And so um, this legislation creates that kind of um, a dynamic with the products that you can purchase. It also set a daily limit. In Colorado, prior to our legislation, you could get four grams of concentrates per day. That's 40 bags of shatter. And shatter could be 85 or 90% THC. It's incredibly um, addicting. And that, um, you could go from dispensary to dispensary and purchase 40 grams. So we had a daily limit of 40 grams, but it wasn't really a daily limit because you could go to every dispensary that you wanted. So, so that limit comes down to eight grams for adults on the medical side and two grams for 18 to 20 year olds. And a and a doctor will now have to say to an 18 year old, "Oh, you have knee pain. You should use Shatter," which is There's no science that says shatter is helpful for any medical condition. So it really puts the doctor a little bit more um, to have more skin in the game to say what somebody should be allowed to have. Um, So it did those things on the medical side. Um, There were a lot of other like data collection issues about collecting hospital data. We believe that the number is very tied closely to our high teen suicide rate, a third of the teens in Colorado that die by suicide have marijuana in their system. And we copied um, that data from you.
0: Also, I did it for San Diego and I found the same exact results that I I wow. checked uh, the, the growing brain so age under 25 50% of completed suicides were associated with with, um, with marijuana just and I copied that wow.
1: idea from you guys. Wow, that's just a shocking and just tragic number. I feel you know, as we started to kind of dig into the suicide data and realize how high it was, um it really it's kind of painful to see that number and realize that we're not warning parents. And we're not warning more than alcohol, more than alcohol. Yeah, it's more than alcohol. It alcohol um, for 15 to 19 year olds in Colorado, it's 34% with THC and alcohol, I believe is like 16%. So it's not anywhere near what it is for THC. Um, And then the other big piece about the legislation that we did was we basically empowered the Colorado School of Public Health to do research on high-potency THC and to do a meta-analysis of all of the research that's done throughout the world, identify any research gaps that we might need to fill, and then report back to the legislature with policy recommendations to protect the public health. And we believe that that research, once it comes back, will help guide not only the conversation about potency, THC potency in Colorado, but around the country and the world. So that's our hope is to shed some light on the harms that are being caused and come up with policy that can safeguard the public health.
0: And I think that's also what gives me the FOMO. It's like Colorado is doing this. All eyes are in Colorado. You know, if you're doing it, we should be doing it as well.
1: You know, there was a lot about that in um, the legislature as these bills were debated. And I think a lot of the legislators started to feel a real sense of responsibility that we were the first state to do this and that we had a responsibility then to the rest of the country to not only be more transparent about what has truly happened here, because if you listen to our governor, you will not hear that this has been a problem. They just brag about the tax revenue and we have just a decimated um, teen, young adult situation and they have paid the price by being guinea pigs to basically the world on this issue. So we felt a sense of responsibility to the rest of the country to be honest and then try and... um, remedy some of the harm that's been caused here and across the country
0: yeah and it's so important I can't thank you enough for doing that you need to do more I mean I was listening to you talk about the Lipitor analogy and I'm thinking even that's not enough I cannot prescribe Lipitor without a history a physical exam vital signs other drugs you're taking drug interactions you know, and then a a risk benefits, not for everybody. There's risks with Lipitor. um, Mm -hmm. And before I write a prescription. And so there's so many steps in the, you know, doctor patient relationship that have been cut out um, for, for cannabis. And
1: yet they call it. exactly. it's, it's, it's It's been like a giant marketing. um, It's felt like a giant marketing blitz that we've all experienced and turned over parts of our culture to this, Um, marketing machine about how um, cannabis is, solves all problems, solves, it's great for all these medical conditions, it's magic, and it will solve all your tax problems. And it's, it's, you know, I'm sure you realize this, but the more you dig into this issue, the more it feels like we're reliving what the Sackler family did and Purdue Pharma and just the straight up lies that were told, um, to convince people that it wasn't addictive, that it was innocuous. And we're just seeing that over and over. And I really believe that eventually this will end in the same way as far as, um, more regulations to protect the public health. But until then, we're kind of riding the same wave that we've ridden with this and big tobacco and it's, it's pretty shocking that we keep falling for it as a society over and over. Yeah. And if you think about it as the same kind of, um, again, follow the
0: money, right? Tobacco, opiates, and now uh, big marijuana, right? Yes. Same, same kind of, same thing, um, all for 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 chasing money,
1: really. Mm-hmm. I really believe we've sacrificed a generation of our children in Colorado. We, one of the things that we did with our Um, legislation in our hearings was we had, we organized parents and their kids who had been impacted. And the thing that was really chilling about all of that was the stories are so similar. The stories of a vulnerable teenager who um, has been told for years that this is innocuous or it's even good for you. It's medicine. We have green crosses all around on the stores here. And so people don't realize that what what they're taking is actually, in many cases, the root of their problems or making things much worse. And just how it devolves into very serious addiction, psychosis in some instances, suicide, schizophrenia, depression, cannabis hyperemesis. It's just a really heartbreaking club that so many families here belong to. And the industry has been so powerful and so successful at shaming people from speaking out about what has happened. And that was one of the things that really by coming together and organizing parents, we were able to stand together and withstand the, the attempts at shaming to speak the truth and be honest about how these products have harmed um, so much of our youth and young adults. Yeah. and. You know,
0: it's interesting. I mean, your organization is blue rising together. Blue is for Democrats. Um, And yet marijuana legalization is considered a liberal democratic issue. And there's a a large movement to normalize drug use, not just marijuana, but hey, cocaine, meth, anything. And how are you able to convince Democrats who are on one hand, want to decriminalize, want to normalize to this issue of uh, adverse events with high potency THC?
1: You know, it's a pretty interesting, um, it's a good question, and I get asked that question a lot. And I would say that um, I believe that Democrats believe in science. We believe in, just like COVID, the climate issue, vaccines, we believe in science. And sometimes we might need to remind Democrats that science matters and it's real. And and traditionally, Democrats have always believed in not putting big business and industry over people and public health. And that is at the heart of, I, in my opinion, being a Democrat. And so what we really set out to do is to remind people: like just like in Colorado, where um, the Democrats really put more regulatory frameworks around the oil and gas industry for the harms that were being caused by fracking. So do we need to do the same thing for this industry and not allow money to become more important than public health? And in fairness, a lot of Democrats here just hadn't thought about it. It, it didn't, um, If they didn't have a teenager or weren't using these products, they just didn't know. And once we really started putting two together, two and two together and sharing with them the science and, and for them to hear stories from people just like them, they really started to kind of open their minds up and realize like, wow, we obviously need more of a regulatory framework around these products.
0: And how do you approach the, the justice issue that marijuana is really, um, you know, proponents of, of marijuana and expanding marijuana make it a justice um, issue? Like, hey, we shouldn't be putting people in jail for using marijuana. It's like, no, I don't think we should. But there's more to it than that.
1: Yes. I mean, I 100 percent support decriminalizing of of marijuana and some other drugs as well. I don't think people should go to jail for um, for these things. Perfect. And I also think that the war on drugs was racist and targeted communities of color and overpoliced communities of color. And they have been um, unfairly targeted. And what I would say now is I I also think they're being targeted by an industry that's trying to make money off of them, just like menthol flavored cigarettes or menthol flavored vapes. Um, We have the suicide rate amongst um, youth of color is also exceedingly high. And um, we think that these communities are being targeted just like they have been over time to make money on. And... In um, at least in Colorado, I believe the number is like over ninety percent of the businesses are owned by uh, generally white men or or white people, and it's a very small sliver that it, our communities of color are owning. And um, I, I just think from from the perspective of our group and our families that um, again people are not being told the truth. About how harmful these products are, and so it's kind of a fine line of figuring out um how do we regulate, And we have to stop the um, the the criminalization, in a sense, because even now, black youth get in trouble and get arrested for more um for marijuana when white kids don't hear. so there there is definitely a disparity on how um how the criminal justice system has just targeted communities of color so it's it's definitely a balance but regulating and protecting the public health does not have criminalization in it whatsoever it's like we need to follow science and that applies to all groups
0: yeah I, I agree with that, follow, follow the science, That's, uh, that could be u- universal. Um, and the question is, is this really a political issue? I mean, as a, as a doctor, you know, intubating patients who are overdosed just yesterday, very sad, um, they don't come with a D or an R tattooed on their body, um, it's just a, a person who I'm caring for. I mean, drugs really are an equal opportunity killer Um, racially, politically diverse killer. Um, And I'm wondering if this is an issue we can get together um, and unite our country against about protecting our, our children from this.
1: I definitely think that it's an area to find common ground. I find more common ground on this issue than I ever have with um, the other party or people on the other political side of the spectrum. And it's actually been kind of refreshing to find common ground in a time when we are so divided. And it feels like there's very little that we can agree on. It's really wonderful to agree on um, in this area. And yes, it's a public health issue. And I also believe that We have to have a political strategy to pass these public health policies because this is an industry that's been very savvy and used all of their political connections. And if we do not do the same, then we're basically bringing a knife to a gunfight. And we need to have a real strategy. And that is both sides of the aisle need to work on it. And um, we need people to that have political capital to use political capital to protect the next generation.
0: Yeah, that's very important. And I, I, I share with that um, really u- uniting Americans, uh, we need unity, less division. And, and I think that this is something that we can rally on. Um, yes. And I heard you uh, call marijuana advocacy a halo project um, for lobbyists. Can you explain that?
1: um our our lobbyists have referred to it as you know it's a it's a project that um you know we have some of the best lobbyists in Colorado working on our team and i'm just grateful for them every day and it's really they've poured their hearts and souls into this work and um it's really just to make Colorado and other parts of the country a better place and that's how we've approached doing this hard work is to we just want to do what's right and um, and advocate for those that have really paid the highest price for being the guinea pigs. And it's really awful. I've heard you know, many teenagers that have talked about how angry they are that they were the generation of guinea pigs for this industry. And it's gross. And there's a lot of people here that are angry about it and angry that until this legislation that our um, government here in Colorado and our regulatory agency did not act in the best interests of the public health, but they've acted in the best interests of an industry.
0: Wow, do you I would love to see like a video of these kids making this testimony?
1: I wonder if you do you have that as part of your advocacy. You know, we we don't. We um parents are very um, it depends on where their kid is at in how they share their story. Some we have some parents whose children have died by suicide. Um and they are often, you know, if they're willing to share their story, they're willing to share it really honestly. Um, there are parents whose kids are in recovery that are harder for to share because their kids still hopefully have lives to live. So it's a delicate balance because the um, the cannabis industry here in Colorado has been very aggressive in trying to shame and um, ridicule parents and some of the youth that has come out to speak about their experience. Parents are regularly told this is just bad parenting. We've heard addiction is a choice. Some kids are just bad kids and um, no responsibility the industry takes for their products or their actions or their marketing it's always just a parenting problem or a bad kid. And it's deeply offensive and it really has only served to motivate um, our group of parents more to be uh, more active and more determined.
0: Painful. You're already going through suffering so much to have someone do that. You know.
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, Exactly. Many of these people who do say those things do not have children, which is no surprise, and um, or they just don't relate. So it just depends on how you view life. Do you go through life um, with an open heart wanting to do uh, what's right and protect people? Or do you look at life and figure out how I can most um, make as much money as I can? and build an industry that's really untethered from social responsibility or moral responsibility to to our youth. And unfortunately here, there's been a lot of incentive to do the latter, so. Well, it's interesting you say that because I,
0: I had a conversation with a marijuana shop owner and they believe, or from his perspective, it's like people need this as their medicine And yes, people have died from the high-potency products, but it's not their fault because it's legal. They're just following the rules, which is opposite of how I would approach things as a doctor. If if I gave you a treatment and you had an adverse event, let alone died, um, I would first of all stop, not say, oh, well, the FDA lets me prescribe this and my hospital lets me to do that. I would first stop and analyze and make sure it doesn't ever happen again. Now, um, right. very. That's you know. That's how doctors think, but that's now how a business person thinks.
1: Exactly. It's
0: yeah. So, if you had a magic wand, um, what would be you know your your wish for marijuana legislation in, in Colorado or or even federally?
1: I, for Colorado in particular, I wish that we. Have our potency at a level that can be proven safe by science. So, if that is 15%, great. If it's 10%, if it's 25%, whatever that number is, it needs to be proven safe. And I would like to see an industry that can only put things on the market that they have tested to prove that they're safe. You can't buy vodka soaked tampons in a liquor store. So why can you buy high potency THC vaginal suppositories? It it makes no sense. And for some reason we've allowed an industry to kind of be, and I think it's because of the, the, the play between federal legalization and state legalization that in so many ways, that's actually been a big benefit for, um, for the cannabis industry, because they've been able to kind of do whatever they want without real oversight, because it's not federally legal. So, um, and they've been able to make pretty ridiculous claims about anything they want without data and get away with it. I heard somebody from the cannabis industry about six or eight, six months ago saying that states with legalized marijuana had lower teen suicide rates. And they had repeated that lie over and over again. And it is a demonstrable lie in Colorado. We have one of the highest teen suicide rates in the country. It's in over a third of our teen suicides in their system. And yet they can continue to say that lie with impure, like they're fine, they just keep saying it and some people will believe it. And that I feel like is, needs to stop. We need to find a way to um, force the industry to um, not continue to lie and to put products on the market that are safe. Mm -hmm. And to stop marketing to children and to teens.
0: I mean, you see that with lots of subjects, if, you, if you're if you able to lie, then you could just make up anything. But if you're trying to right. do the right thing and, and go by the science and citations and real science, then then it's um, it's harder because we, we don't have the extent, you know, of potency. We have, a, you know, I was thinking about like, well, we can't, what you said about is 10% safe or 15 or 25. The actual science that we have, we do have science. It's not that we don't have any. We have extensive science on thousands of um, patients from Europe, um, and they defined high potency as more than 10%. And those show that uh, areas with more than 10% potency is associated with a five fold increase in psychosis. So we have that data. Right. You know?
1: Right. And we just, part of it is. You know, when we first started this effort here in Colorado, we wanted to do a potency cap kind of off the bat in our legislation. And we ended up through lots of negotiations and conversations going to the School of Public Health first. But we made that same argument that there already is a lot of data. But the problem, again, is this has been an industry that has been untethered to science or to public health. And now we are in the position where they don't have to prove their products are safe. We have to prove they're unsafe. Yeah. And so we have to, and it, and it's kind of a ridiculous argument that industry is able to say, well, you can't prove it's not safe. Well, you can say there's a product problem with shatter, Scooby snack flavored shatter, you know, that an 18 year old gets, but you can't prove it. And you have to can you prove causality? You know, it's the bar is ridiculously high, and um, and unfortunately, in many states, they they have the regulatory agencies in their pockets, so nobody calls them to task. You know, and you're we're
0: concentrating on on teenagers, but. I'm sure you're seeing this too in Colorado. I had one of my podcasts with a pediatrician, Natalie Laub, who the number one drug poisoning in kids under five years old is marijuana because they're eating the Weedos, which looks like Cheetos, and ending up in the hospital or eating the gummy bears and ending up in the hospital. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it is, it's sad. And I, I applaud you, applaud you for your efforts and in the right way. Um, that reaches the audience to make a difference and obviously you've been successful and and in the hands i'm so excited to talk to you and learn from you um you you also have you told me about a bill on fentanyl for colorado can you tell us a little bit about that
1: yes so we are it's still in the works here in colorado um but we are working with um some of the other groups in Colorado on addressing the fentanyl crisis here. And, and part of that is again, parents in our group, there's a real relationship between high potency THC and opiate use disorder. In fact, the study came out in March, 2020, um, you know, that, that showed that the number one, predeterminant or however you say it um, for opiate abuse is early marijuana use before the age of 18. And so um, there's a lot of young adults and youth who have started with high potency THC, moved on to opiates. And unfortunately, tragically, some of those, a percentage of those are, you know, buying pills uh, illegally and some of them have been laced with fentanyl. So we have some families who have lost their young adults due to fentanyl poisoning. And in in several of those cases, the their access to the world of addiction and seeking that higher high came from high potency THC at a younger age.
0: I, I could tell you that I, I treat hundreds of people who use fentanyl, who've overdosed on fentanyl, who unfortunately died of fentanyl. And I haven't met a single one that didn't start priming their brain at a very young age, like 12, 11, 13, um, with marijuana, not one. Wow. Um, so yeah. that, that is really important. And whatever you can do, I mean, we're losing, you know, an airplane, a day of people, um, from from drugs yeah. who are just dying. And I, I don't know why we don't have more of an outrage um, than we do. I mean, we more people have died of fentanyl in the ages of 18 to 45 than COVID. And yet all of public health stuff wow. we hear is about COVID. Um, and, and really, I would say now, fentanyl is a, a bigger crisis um, and a bigger
1: killer. It's um, It's really just unbelievable to see We've had just an overwhelming amount of people die of uh, fentanyl poisoning here. And it just seems like we just can't stand on the side and say, okay, well, we'll address it next year or the year after that, or the year after that. Like when you have a crisis like this, we have to do something.
0: Yeah. So I can share with you, I think I told you, but I want to show off with my audience that um, last year... I got language for a fentanyl bill for California, and it is to do, it's a very small part. I mean, we can only do what we can do, but I can, right. um, my expertise is with the medical community. So what can the medical community do about fentanyl? I mean, we're not dealing it on the streets, but what we can do is is test. And right now, um, what's the standard of care in drug testing is what's called the Federal Five. There's only five drugs that are mandated in a in a drug screen that include marijuana, opiates, um, uh, methamphetamine, PCP, and cocaine. And I'm thinking we need a federal six where we need to add fentanyl to that. So if you're going to get a drug screen for whatever reason that you're getting it, it should include fentanyl. And a positive screen does make a medical difference because it informs the doctors. The patients may be shocked that like they didn't they thought they were using meth or cocaine or something else, or even marijuana, and it it was laced with fentanyl. Um, It tells you to give that person a prescription for naloxone. We think of naloxone just for opiates. But hey, if you're using meth and it has um, fentanyl in it or pills and it has fentanyl in it, even Viagra, fake Viagra pills were found to have fentanyl in it, then you need naloxone. And then it's a great motivator for change and treatment. So um, with that, I wrote a bill, and it's been picked up by Senator Melissa Melendez, and hopefully, it'll uh, go through the California legislation for 2022. We don't have any opposition, so I'm I'm hoping. I've never done this before. This is a solo uh, right. thing, so so we'll see. We'll let you know how it goes. Yes, um, please do. And I'll seek your advice on how and, and anything. <laughs> Um, So speaking of advice, what is your advice to John Byron um, and what should he do as part of his work? He works for North Coastal Prevention Coalition um, and he wants to, you know, do some consumer protection and protect youth in California.
1: You mean, what's my advice for
0: legislation? For him, maybe not whether legislation, what he can do as a, you know, I don't know how much power or uh, ability someone working in a prevention coalition could do in legislation, but but in, in general, what would be a good message that he could take home to his community?
1: Well, I would say first of all, that someone working in prevention with an organization has a lot of power. And I think that when we come together, fighting for our youth and young adults and the public health, There's very few things that are more powerful than that. I really am a believer in small groups of people making huge change. And I think that it's really important to join coalitions together um, in public health with impacted parents, with educators, with the medical community, with great lobbyists and uh, donors to start making political change. It's it's so important to educate each other and educate the community on the harms of high potency THC, but we have to change policy. If we just educate and we don't change policy and we don't change regulatory frameworks, then it doesn't get better. And um, especially where youth are concerned where, you know, one of the moms in our group whose son was impacted and um, developed psychosis from a dabbing, from becoming addicted to dabbing, she she often says that, you know, at the time when you're in it, you're like really angry at your kid at times and, you know, for choices or, or you know, it's a, it's a real struggle. Um, and. Then when you step out of it and you realize that there's this multi-billion dollar industry that has targeted your child and other kids like them to be the next generation of users, you realize that we need to do something to like decouple the um, cannabis industry's marketing from how youth are targeted and how they've successfully been able to market it all as medicine, and we can we can say, you know that I believe there's likely some products at low potencies that can be really helpful to people. that i I don't disagree that there is a segment, possibly through research that you might be able to find at low potencies. But oh, for an industry to be able to claim what I mean, there are medications, right? I can prescribe right. you Marinol. Right. Exactly. So there are some things and and seizure disorders, like I don't I don't doubt that there is a only is a, only a, a rare link.
0: seizure disorders in babies. Cause what I'm seeing is kids saying that, oh, I need this for my seizure. And then right. they're having seizures. It's only you know, you know if you have Dravette syndrome in little babies, you could take epidilox, which is CBD. It's not right. THC. Little right, babies right. are not smoking pot for their seizures
1: hundred percent right. But I'm just saying that we we have an industry that's created a dynamic where they can say shatter, which is made with butane and propane that is a you know that is an amber glass that you put in a pipe. And heat with a um, with a torch. There is no relationship to that and medicine. And so, to be able to market shatter, you know, pineapple express or, or birthday cake flavored shatter, and say that this is somehow medicine, but have zero data to put that out there. There is no framework that when before they have to put a product on the market and call it medicine that they have to prove it has medicinal value. And that's just absurd. It's just truly absurd that they can slap a green cross on it and call it medicine. And nobody is going to- I'm actually surprised um, at the medical community that they didn't push back. Like, we work so hard to
0: do medicine. We spend like, you know, 12 years of education to do medicine. And here, just like you say, slap a green cross and it's a medicine. Yeah. Crazy. Um, well, I think that's great advice, and I want to thank you. Thank you, Dawn, Um Reinfeld, for educating us, and we wish you a lot of success in your thank advocacy you. in Colorado and protecting our youth, our public, and, and the future of America. So really thank you for that. And uh, thank you to John Byron for your question and many years of service in prevention, and congratulations to you for living many years in recovery and a great example that recovery from addiction works. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to High Truths on Drugs and Addiction, where national experts bring you facts and answer your questions. This High Truths podcast is sponsored by CCR, the Center for Community Research, enhancing public health and safety through informed action. CCR is a San Diego-based nonprofit organization that has been recognized at the state and national level for community work on opioids, prescription drugs, methamphetamines, youth marijuana prevention, and data evaluation. Learn more about CCR at ccrconsulting.org. Our producer is Dave Rivas from Davey Boy Productions. I am your host, Dr. Ronit Lev. We hope we brought your day a little bit more high truths.